to our final service in this Summer Seeker series. For any of you church shopping or considering joining a joyful, challenging church, we've been looking at freedom from many Unitarian Universalist angles. Hope Church has a free pew. It's our seat for the spiritual practice of democracy, allowing all voices to be heard and then voting with our best judgment. And that's how we make major decisions in the church. It's not just a civic practice, but a deeply religious one. We value listening. Members vote on the budget, the minister, and countless other decisions. Hope Church has a free pulpit. As your minister, I'm free to speak what I understand to be true at 11.34 and 15 seconds. You're free to accept or push back in civil discussion. I'm not expected to abide by a theological creed or a belief statement. You, you expect me to evolve, and I expect the same of you. Hope is a free church. All UU churches are free churches. You are free as a congregation to gather, call a minister, own property, teach, hold worship in any reverent fashion you choose. And trust me, we slip in the irreverent, too. The church runs its own affairs. In a live demonstration of the free pulpit last Sunday, Hope member Ann Steiner stepped behind this pulpit and preached about free thinkers, an important movement in our Unitarian and Universalist movement. Hope Church is a welcoming home for people to form their own opinions about important subjects instead of blindly accepting what other people say. Free thinkers are heavily committed to the use of scientific inquiry and logic. And at the same time, as Anne explained, free thinking is not a rejection of passion or emotion. So this Sunday, we're looking at freedoms spelled out in our fourth principle. We, the member congregations of the Unitarian Universalist Association, Hope Church, covenant to affirm and promote a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. Because the principles are part of our association's bylaws, they have a noble ring to them, but they're a little dry. The children's version of the principles has helpful simplicity and directness. In kid ease, the fourth principle is, we believe that each person must be free to search for what is truth and right in life. There are seven principles in total. I admire these value statements hammered out by groups of dedicated congregations, lay leaders, clergy. Back in the 1980s, the process took years. 
and was spurred on in a large part by the male patriarchal language of the association's original bylaws. When the Universalist Church of America and the American Unitarian Association merged in the 1960s, the documents contained repeated references to mankind, brotherhood, and the dignity of man. When God was mentioned, the pronoun was always masculine. Well into the 20th century, our religious predecessors used to proclaim and teach their children that we believe in the fatherhood of God, the brotherhood of man, the leadership of Jesus, salvation through character, and the progress of mankind onward and upward forever. I want a cape. (laughs) Over many years, women, though not women alone, grew increasingly unhappy with this blatantly sexist language. So in the 1970s, Remember all that great 1970s feminist workshop at a women and religion conference? They had a workshop titled The UUA Principles. Do they affirm us as women? Resoundingly, the workshop said no. The first tentative wording of new principles and purposes began there, and the process eventually involved the whole denomination, and it took a six-year stretch of meetings and votes and revisions, more meetings, more votes. Remember, we talked about we're a democracy. It's messy. And they ended up finally with our current set of principles. So this fourth principle, the one we're looking at today, a free and responsible search for truth and meaning undergoes critical and subtle rewriting to come up with that. And it's not changed because of sexist language. Originally, the fourth principle read, the free and disciplined search for truth, period. What the feminist sensibility of the time brings to bear on this principle is an emphasis on community. While thinking is an individual solitary action, confirming conclusions requires community, congregations. Our search for truth needs accountability. As Unitarian Universalists, we expect to check our ideas against the responses, experiences, and conclusions of others. Our tradition functions in community, in collaboration, in covenant with others. In rewriting the fourth principle, the word disciplined is changed to responsible, a free and responsible search. 
So an irresponsible search for truth takes place in a bubble, in a vacuum. The story of God's hat is a reminder we know so much more when we collaborate, ask questions, compare notes, listen to each other, and imagine reality beyond our singular vision. The hat may be both and, red and blue. The ideas you hold dear may not be as accurate or as universal as you imagine. They may be both and. So how do we make room for the necessary humility any search for truth requires? (laughs) Do we still sound like the Unitarians of the last century, complete with cape and arms, stretching into the sky, ready to fly, progress of humankind onward and upward forever? Away! As I thought about this, an article in this week's New York Times, I, I suspect some of you have read this, caught my attention as I mulled over this ceaseless search for truth. How do we respond when we run into the edges of what we can know? When we're stopped by the boundaries of our own truth? So 40 years ago, a professor of surgery wants to teach a course called The Introduction to Medical and Other Ignorance. The school's administration highly discourages this. Dr. Marlis White uses, they want her to use a different name for the course, happy to have her teach the course, but Ignorance is not a very popular term or valued in medical education. But she wouldn't budge. She believes far too often teachers fail to emphasize how much about a given topic is unknown. She explains textbooks spend eight to ten pages on pancreatic cancer without ever telling the student, we really don't know that much. She wants her students to recognize the limits of knowledge and to appreciate that questions deserve as much attention as answers. Eventually, the American Medical Association funds the class, which students fondly remember as Ignorance 101. (laughs) Other scientists and teachers notice a similar need for not simply teaching what we know but not fearing to teach how much we don't know. I will add clergy and religious educators to this list. Neuroscientist Stuart Firestein writes a book called Ignorance, How It Drives Science. He makes clear many scientific facts aren't solid and immutable. Instead, they're destined to be vigorously challenged and revised by subsequent generations. Discovery is not the neat linear process many imagine. Discovery involves, in Dr. Firestein's words, phrasing, 
Discovery involves feeling around in dark rooms, bumping into unidentifiable things, looking for barely perceptible phenomena. Doesn't our search for religious and spiritual truth feel exactly like this much of the time? Doesn't understanding your place in the cosmos, how to interact with fellow creatures, what to do with this brief life, and how to cope with the endless change, doesn't that feel exactly like stumbling around in the dark, stubbing your toe on the dresser, walking through an invisible spider web, and sometimes finding across a room a tiny spot of light, or if you're lucky, finding the light switch. One useful analogy for relationship between truth and ignorance is to imagine an island. The larger the island of truth and knowledge grows, the longer the shoreline where knowledge meets ignorance, the longer the shoreline extends. The more we know, the more we can ask. Questions don't give way to answers so much as the two proliferate together. Answers breed questions. Curiosity isn't merely a static disposition, but rather a passion of the mind that is ceaselessly earned and nurtured. Mapping the coast of the island of truth, to continue the metaphor, requires a familiarity and acceptance of ambiguity. The ever-expanding shoreline where questions are born of answers is terrain characterized by vague and conflicting information. The resulting state of uncertainty tends to intensify our emotions, not only exhilaration and surprise, but confusion and frustration. So welcome to Hope Church, our island with a hilltop. We grapple with ever-expanding uncertainty and joy and surprise and confusion and questions, endless questions. Being confused is unpleasant, so humans tend to shudder our minds as we grasp for meaning and stability, especially when things are stressful. We're kind of hardwired to resolve contradictions quickly. And that can be useful when a tiger is chasing you. You don't want to be indecisive. And the center of the island, away from that ambiguous shore, by contrast, is safe and comforting. When we latch on to fast and easy truths, we lose a vital opportunity to learn something new or solve a hard problem or see the world from a completely different perspective. So the, the struggle to keep asking questions, to stay open and innovative, can best be supported by a community. When one of us is tired and drained by the questions, someone else in the congregation will be fired up and ready to strike out to that conflicting shoreline where truth and ignorance mingle. 
returning to that fourth principle and the collaborative rewriting process, they added one more word. No longer are we here just seeking truth freely and responsibly. We're also seeking meaning. We're searching for truth and meaning. We're in the life-giving business of creating meaning. We come together to accept the mysteries in our ignorance and not despair over how much we don't know. If you'll bear with me, let's look at the ultimate mystery of death. Our Unitarian Universalist response to death is a memorial service in community. We seek the meaning of the life. We seek the meaning of our collective grief, of our confusion, of our loss. We seek instructions and support for how to live on, how to live on despite this heartache and loss. We do not say, well, that person's in a better place. Because we don't know. We don't say, God took her, because we don't know. At Hope's memorial services, the ministers before me have said, and I now say too, these words to gathered mourners. Do not think we are here because he or she died. To think that is to misunderstand our purpose. We have gathered here today because they lived. And in their living, touched the lives of every person here. And the lives of countless people who are not here. It is in that spirit we turn away from our accustomed paths this day to remember and honor their life. That we might honor all life and that we might be renewed in the meaning and purpose of our own lives. Not only in death, but in all the milestones of human life, even the most joyous, a wedding, a birth, a coming of age, we are still at that shoreline of the unknown. Our knowledge of the present meets the ignorance of what the future will bring, what each change in status will mean. So as as individuals and as a congregation, we affirm, we covenant to affirm. We promise to affirm and promote a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. Just as we are in this life together, we are in this search together. And we aim to find meaning together. May it be so. This is the last month we give away our plate every single Sunday. And this is the end of August and our last 